Hello all you seekers, explorers and renegades out there, welcome to another episode of the Alchemy Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Lemke. We're most privileged today to have Nicholas Johnny with us, uh, who is the author of the book Leader as Healer. This is an absolutely amazing book that you have to read. It really brings leadership into the new paradigm of compassion and empathy and has the premise of, which appears to be kind of obvious to me in a way, in order to be a good leader, you have to first heal your own wounds in order to inspire others to show up as a role model, uh, to inspire others to become the best version of the, versions of themselves. That is what inspired leadership is all about. On top of it all off, Nicholas has this energy that, you know, when you walk into a room and you meet someone and you just want to be present in their energy, Nicholas certainly has that energy. And so you're now going to have the privilege of being in his presence for the next hour. Enjoy it. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Now this quote comes from uh, Nicholas Johnny's book, Leader as Healer, and um, we are uh, fortunate enough to have Nicholas on the line here today on uh, our Zoom call, and uh, I I was recommended his book from a friend of mine, uh, uh, Halima Ferreira, and uh, who uh, I understand uh, they they met uh, a while ago, and uh, she said, oh, you got to read this book, and uh, very uh, truly so. I uh, <laughs> uh, obviously read the book, and uh, yeah, it, it certainly a lot of things that resonate with me and uh, align with uh, where I'm at in my journey. So um, one one aspect that I found intriguing, and uh, I will uh, let Nicholas join in here in, the, in a minute and uh, welcome him. Uh, was the so Nicholas is a leadership consultant or leadership, uh, shall we say, teacher, coach uh, today, but it didn't start out that way. And it's uh, so the the path that Nicholas has traveled is very interesting to me because it comes kind of from left field. So I'm going to let Nicholas uh, share his uh uh, how he ended up where he is today from uh, <laughs> his background. So welcome, Nicholas. It's a pleasure having you here today. Thank you very much, Christopher. I'm, I'm delighted and honoured to be here. So do you want to share a little bit about uh, how you ended up in the position you are today, where you're sharing what I can only describe as inner wisdom about leadership? Right. Well, the headlines would be... I had a big spiritual awakening, age 16, which I didn't expect. Right. And that really set the course for my life. And then, um, because I was brought up in an artistic family, my father was a famous film producer, and I was actually hopeless at science, so I was always going to go into the arts. Right. But I chose theatre, not least, because you can't always follow a famous father. Um, and actually, just before I went to university to study drama, I came across uh, a book in a secondhand bookshop in London by a legendary Polish theatre director called Jerzy Krotowski. 
And that was like, uh, it, it was so exciting for me because it was the first glimpse I had that theater could be a really deeply spiritual path. And then I came across Peter Brook. And anyway, that basically set my course for the next 20 years. And I was exploring in my own company, three years initially as an actor, really what were the peak states that the actor could go into, in which every cell of their body was alive, in which they became like a vessel, like a channel. And it was an amazing period in my life, and I, I loved it. And I actually never expected to leave it. But as things happen, I was involved in the opening of Shakespeare's Globe Theatre in London, because my then best friend, Richard Olivier, was directing the first production. And we worked a lot together. And um, out of that was born a, a workshop exploring Shakespeare with a group of public service leaders. And they all completely loved it. And it was a light bulb for us. And out of that then came about at least three years where we developed a methodology that we came to call mythodrama, using one or two great Shakespeare stories as kind of leadership case studies and really using them as like levers to look at the inner life of the leader. And we got very good at it. It took a while and we started getting more and more work. And to cut a long story short, Richard said to myself and another colleague, let's start a consultancy. So we more or less quit the theater in 2001 and created Olivier Mythodrama. And it grew and grew. It was like we were on fire and we were working all over the world and we took many more people. And And then there was a point where I needed to leave and do my own thing, which is what I'm doing now. And I teach at two of the world's leading business schools. Um, I work actually doing a major project at the moment with one of the world's biggest law firms doing leader as healer. Um, and, uh, for a while, all my work was focused on what I call presence, which was really bringing all parts of us to the table. And then about three or four years ago, this phrase kind of dropped in as it's things happen, leader as healer. And I just started listening to it and speaking about it hesitantly at first. And um then one of my biggest supporters, a man called Michael Watkins, who wrote The First 90 Days, who's really, really always supported my work, said, Nicholas, you have to write a book, which I really, I don't <laughs> like writing. <laughs> I'm not a very natural writer. So uh, in that way, COVID was a blessing because I had a lot, you know, I sat at home a lot. And um, over the next two to three years, I wrote the book and it was published in March in England and June in America. And I think, it, well, it's had a fantastic reception and it feels to me as though it this speaks to the times. I think Leader as Healer five years ago would have been much too strange a title. But wow. here I am working with, you know, a major law firm teaching at two of the world's top business schools, Leader as Healer. So I think that's very interesting. Well, the, I think a lot of uh, consultants or coaches that are 
kind of working on on that concept, uh, whether it be with businesses or with individuals. Uh, I mean, I predominantly work with executives and private individuals uh, from a perspective of uh, kind of uh, either finding or rekindling their relationship with uh, their purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, of course, in order to do that, you go through a healing process. Um, it's the uh, lotus flower coming out of the mud. Um, but I, I think there is a shift in the business paradigm towards this idea of uh, not shifting the focus away from profit, but allowing us to sh- uh, profit to share the uh, limelight with people and planet as well. Um, and uh, so I find it fascinating that, as you say, you're working with a uh, big law firm. Um, where production and uh, you know producing hours, uh, billable hours, and all of that is very much the forefront, or has been traditionally. But would you agree that once you start introducing this idea that you, you, you as an individual, as a healer, or as a leader, um, go through this process of healing yourself, that you now start evolving and developing empathy uh, and all of these uh, uh, these aspects that are the softer qualities. Um, does that then shift the individual's focus uh, in terms of the, uh, shall we say, the uh, how they interact with other people? Totally. I mean, so the, the idea of pr- production in terms of a quantity shifts over to quality. Well, let's put it this way. Uh, yes, it shifts everything because in what I call the culture of absence, which is very fragmented reality, we're running on empty. Mm-hmm. So we're always trying to take, we're always trying to get something. We're trying to fill this kind of void inside. So actually, we have no real space for other people, in my experience. Some of my clients, after a while, say to me, you know, Nicholas, I've really began to notice nobody is really listening to anybody. Mm. So that's a wake up. I call my work healing and awakening because that's a wake up. Yeah. And we've so normalized this culture of absence that most people don't even notice it until there is some waking up. And therefore, when we start to um, work with what I would call healing, and we need to talk maybe about what that is, we gradually move towards a more unified interior. And then there is a natural beginning of a different type of relationship mm-hmm. even you know on one level as i often say let's say someone goes to a great yoga class or something like that and they come out and for a few minutes reality is different mm-hmm. literally oh, you come out of deep meditation you feel, you feel more connected to everything But in our so-called normal culture, that lasts a very tiny amount of time. And then we go back to disconnect. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I I teach classes in mindfulness. And uh, 
one aspect I teach is kind of the concept of um, um, Eckhart Tolle of uh, uh, observing your own experiences so that you are present in your own, uh, so you can extend that experience that you're describing yeah. uh, to, to uh, come back more and more during the day uh, because then yeah. you can experience your, your, your life in a much more fulfilling and yeah. rich way, I find. But, well, let's uh, uh, let's talk a bit more about healing because yeah. one of the pillars of my work, and I I think something that in in some way distinguishes it, is that what I teach is that real development has to go along two parallel paths. One is the mindfulness, mm-hmm. meditation, body work, which, as you just described, awakens like a different frequency inside but that is not nearly enough unless it's combined with what i would call trauma work because actually frozen emotion within us however much mindfulness and meditation we do will remain frozen and that's a much more difficult work and i do, i know very little corporate coaching that addresses that absolutely mostly about strategy and and um goals and so on so i take a radical stance on that when no, I, look- you, I i completely agree with you and the mindfulness and the meditation that aspect aspect of it is only there to open the door to for us to be able to do the work, the the deep uh, yeah. work with the uh, core wounding that we have uh, from our childhood, um, and, so, and and from transgenerational and the collective. Absolutely, absolutely. The wounding has those different layers. Yeah, yeah. The Vedic tradition has a, a beautiful word for karma. Um, and uh, it's that ancestral and generational and uh, uh, well depending on your belief system multi-life karma um, that we have to uh, work through every time we come back as it were but so it's and this idea of the leader being a because i talk a lot about this with my business uh, clients is the is the idea that or the challenge rather today is that ma- many managers are there managing control control functions uh, because businesses don't trust their employees so they put all these control functions in place and the manager is there to really make sure those control functions are being fulfilled rather than coaching and supporting and uh, uplifting and empowering the uh, people that they're leading. Uh, So it's this idea that we shift into uh, a leader who can empower or just by sheer presence be there to empower. They show up as a role model. But in order to do that, they need to first be able to have gone through that process of healing their own core wounds themselves. Talk to me a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, about how you work with, shall we say, these uh, hard, hardcore (laughs) business managers uh, on that level. 
Well, I present a very coherent model of why we need to do that. And then it's all about gradually making it safe and also absolutely respecting people's what I call regulation function, you know, why we build walls mm -hmm. and really respecting that and, and just creating the circumstances and the exercises that allow people to start to share together, often very vulnerable emotions. And But that takes time. You have to build a, a safe, um a safe environment sure that happens also partly through one's presence as a facilitator making it feel very mm -hmm. safe and unconditional it's it's really important that people get rid of this idea of positive and negative emotion and so i'm i'm very coherent in how i present it and then we build the we build the container together and, you know, normally it's not till the second day that people start to really open up, and that's very natural. And when they do, it's pretty remarkable, actually. Well, it's very similar to the uh, uh, therapy space where you, you go, uh, you see your client for the first time, and uh, it's like almost like pulling teeth, getting them <laughs> to talk, and then... Uh, second session they're much more open because now they've uh, you've gained that trust and you built a little bit of a rapport between yourself and the uh, client uh, so now they're, they're feeling more comfortable to open up in that respect so no for sure that i think that's only natural and especially in these uh, corporate structures where vulnerability i think a lot of times is seen as a weakness isn't it I was working with one particular organization recently and, and I had dinner the night before with uh, the team and one person in the team said to me, Nicholas, you need to understand that most of the men here would rather die than show vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So I think that's very widespread actually, yeah. But we get past that. We get past that and it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, I think once... And uh, the quote where I mentioned here in the beginning is we, everybody goes through this process of just being unconscious about a different way of doing things. And once they wake up to that process that, you know what, it's actually quite nice to be able to share and be vulnerable. Oh, and, of course, yeah. Uh, but then, big... And then it just pours out of you can't stop them. <laughs> It's a big threshold to cross. Yeah. And I actually call it sometimes it's crossing a threshold from narrative because most people are just com constantly in narrative, talking about life rather than experiencing life. So the, it's a huge move to go from narrative to experience, huge. Because Anyway, in experience, we're not controlling anymore. We're experiencing. Mm -hmm. So so that's a constant um, edge. Even when people would start to say, well, I feel a bit anxious because. No, I stop the because. And we don't need, because if you start telling me because, you've gone into narrative. Mm -hmm. 
And where change will happen is if we can make it okay to stay with the experience of fear or sadness or anger or joy or whatever it is. Mm. That's And that's a huge threshold to cross. So the talk to me a little bit about the process of leader as a healer, because it's quite evident that in order to in order for us to enact change in the world, and I I love uh, Mahatma Gandhi's quote there, where you know be the change you want to see in the world, um, and that's really what I understand your process is about in order to be an effective leader you first have to do the work within yourself same thing if i want to be an effective or a good parent i first have to do the work within myself so that i can connect on a deep level with my children and the same as a leader if i want to connect with uh, the people that work for me i need to first do the work within me so uh, and i mean the People spend a lot of time, uh, years and years in therapy to uh, uh, go through that healing process, but uh, you find that's not necessary, right? Well, the problem with some of that is that it's, someone just wrote, is it a lifelong journey? Yes. Sure. (laughs) Yes. The problem I see in certain therapy is that it exactly remains in narrative. And if you can do seven years of that, and it's not necessarily going to really touch. Well, that's more with a, the, the kind of Freudian uh, approach. No, not, o- not only, not only, Christopher, unfortunately, not only. So um, actually, we're, we're, I just launched a whole new platform. We've been experimenting for about five months, a team of, and me and I, We've given over 240 sessions, mainly within the law firm, of 30-minute sessions. And we give the clients two minutes at the beginning only to tell what they want to address. And then we work very direct with what's happening inside on the experiential level. And we and they have been astonished by what we touch and actually because it was we were piloting this we were always asking for feedback and some people were saying i i felt i've touched what would take 20 hours of therapy so we've been piloting this very powerful we call it matrix coaching because actually we're working with frequency and energy yeah. we're not working with the narrative and that's why I think people, I see people who've done years of therapy and I think, well, what happened? Because <laughs> there's still so much unaddressed. Mm-hmm. But that's our culture. I think that it takes a lot to work very, very directly. So we're really excited by this and, and we've launched it publicly now. Um, oh, fantastic. Part of a whole package that goes with leader as healer training as well. Um, it sounds to me like you've uh, looked at a little bit at uh, Dr. Hawkins' uh, work. Don't know him. No, because uh, 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 that that's what he talks about: the frequency of and uh, of emotions, uh, the energy of emotions. Right. 
Um, <laughs> I see Wendy, Wendy wrote a comment. That's thanks for writing, Wendy. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I uh, and uh, it's interesting that you should mention that because it is one thing I, I really work with my clients as well on uh, this coaching them to really experience where they're at right, and right. not not worry about oh this ha or rather you know what was it that triggered me that's not interesting yeah yeah exactly the interesting thing is that you're experiencing that mm -hmm. and as you're experiencing that then you can ask the questions where does this come from exactly and well, understand, yes. understand the uh, what what was it that actually triggered it? Because then you go to the root of the matter very quickly. Right, right, yeah. And uh, that's where I find the the whole idea of observing your own experiences. It's, it's a bit of a skill uh, moving yourself out of your head. And that's another thing I wanted to ask you about. Because I come from the kind of analytical business side myself. So I have more of <laughs> the traditional uh, entry way into uh, coaching. But it, we tend to be very much stuck in our heads and focus on the external. The internal is secondary, if even features at all. So the uh, how do you work with your clients on getting them to be in that experiential observing perspective as opposed to stuck in their heads and focus because on I, because I don't allow them to be stuck in their heads <laughs> <laughs> and because from the very beginning I tell them what we're going to do and I don't need new clients in fact I'm not taking any new clients at the moment um, I don't have time if except occasionally but i make it very very clear what we're going to do i you know that we're going to look deep inside it's going to be uncomfortable at times and you need to be sure you're ready for this and even if they say yeah yeah i'm ready i say no go away and think about it because we're going to go deep and from the very beginning i'm helping them understand when they go into narrative and saying no, 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 no we need to look at what's happening inside and and it gets ever deeper so i'm very rigorous i i i don't compromise at all yeah. and people accept that they you know they 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 want that i want yeah, to I, answer, I want to answer faz because he or she i'm not sure if it's she. Or she 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 wrote how to measure if there's been progress i think that's a really good question mm -hmm. because um I think the way we measure our progress, well, there are two ways. One is we look at our life. We look at the quality of our relation, relating. We look at how often I feel fresh and inspired. We look at my level of vitality and motivation. That's one very clear way. The other way is we get feedback from people who know us. So we must, we have to measure in some way. Otherwise, we could waste a lot of time. Well, I think uh, it's the same way or the same challenge that we have in uh, in psychology that you can't quantify, you can't measure it with quant uh, quantity or quantifying it. It has to be a qualitative uh, uh, questionnaire almost that you go through. So you you 
measure the state of mind before the process and then you uh, measure it after the process and that's how you can then uh, see okay well happiness has gone up fulfillment's gone up etc etc so do you bring those kind of processes into uh, the work that you do nicholas yeah definitely and in fact we're, we're actually just uh, we're in the first stages of a dialogue with McKinsey about um, measuring over a nine-month period the effect of our work because we believe we can. And actually, you know, for instance, within another big organization I'm working with, they the number two has written me saying he thinks extraordinary things are happening in the culture as a result of the work. Um, so we're actually within the whole matrix project in a in a dialogue about how next time we take a big contract um let's let's measure everyone at the beginning using you know very careful metrics and then nine months later let's measure again and let's see what's happened in the culture because we're pretty certain that our work is generating big cultural change by working with individuals, by working with teams, online, in-person retreats, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Do you find uh, in that process that people or businesses' perspective on their uh, purpose, because most businesses' purpose today is to make money. It's the bottom line, it's the profit. It's to return value to shareholders. Do you find when they embrace this concept as uh, of a leader as healer that their perspective starts shifting? Do you of find course. that? Of course. And if so, someone if someone tells me that's their purpose, I'm going to tell them, "Well, you're asleep," because that's not a purpose. Making more money is not a purpose. It's a drive. Mm-hmm. The it's meaning a of <laughs> yeah, it's it's got nothing to do with purpose. Yeah. So I'm very clear about that, and I, you know, like I participate, I teach on a fantastic program at Said Business School, um, and I I have two days at the end of a three week program, and the program is only for it's by interview only, and they only take c-level people who are interested in making a difference in the world so we're already in a filtered population there but you know very few people are going to come to me who are only interested in making money well, so, and if they are if they are we will we will very quickly open the perspectives so. yeah because I, I wrote a, an article here a couple of weeks ago uh mission versus purpose and I was looking wow. at some companies. I was looking at uh, uh, ExxonMobil, for example, and their purpose and their mission very clearly stated that they were in the business to make money for their shareholders. That was it. Okay, yeah. well, that's it. at least they're being honest, right? Uh, and then I was looking at some other businesses where their the or the mission didn't quite align with the purpose when you looked at how they treated people and so forth so the mission could, mission could be all very beautifully written but it didn't it was uh, incongruent with uh, 
the actual purpose, which was to make money. Uh, and then I looked at BP, and they're actually, it looks like they are starting to take action to reflect their mission, which is very interesting. Mm. And BP is certainly a company that's uh, taken a lot of flack for various uh, uh, issues they've had with environmental uh, disasters and so forth. Um, but it looks to me at least as deep as I could go with it that they are making changes that are starting to reflect those more deep and more uh, uh, people on planet uh, values as well. Well, let's uh, hope. So. Yeah, well, indeed, I <laughs> do. But so, are you finding that there are more companies out there that are willing and have a genuine desire to shift their purpose into yeah. something that is more similar to, say, uh, Patagonia, for example, to take a very yes. good example? I, I think, well, I know that the whole topic of purpose is becoming rapidly more in the conversation. You know, my colleague at Said Business School, Andrew White, they recently completed a, a two-year project with EY on transformation. Mm -hmm. And um, there's an HBR article they published. They think they have the biggest data um, on transformation. And um, they identified seven levers that are part of successful transformation. And the most important was purpose. Right. So they studied many organizations, gone through either successful or unsuccessful organizations. They interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people. So um, then there is also another colleague at Said called Sarah Rosentula who's written a book called Powered by Purpose. Mm -hmm. And she quotes a study, also EY, I think, where the data shows that organizations who have a genuine lived purpose have an up to 41% upturn in business. So it's interesting that they're actually, you know, there are very good hard reasons for purpose. Oh, absolutely. As, as well as the, uh, you know, the whatever we would call them, the spiritual or <laughs> softer ones. Yeah, the the uh, uh, metaphysical, uh, yeah. Or the, uh, <laughs> yeah. esoteric. Um, so actually, the picture I would say is that an organization that says, was it Shell, you said, or who? Uh, know, Exxon Mobile that has the buttons on making money. They're, yeah. they're, they're dinosaurs. Oh, they're, sure. And I, I, I genuinely believe they won't thrive. They won't, they won't thrive. Well, I think there was some statistic that said uh, 50 years ago, a Fortune 500 or blue chip company was uh, had an average uh, lifespan. I think it was of 60 years or something like that. Uh, today, it's about 15 years. Uh, so they, they are being disrupted not only by technology but also yeah. by purpose exactly yeah because uh, the uh, the generations that are coming up now uh, i saw another study that uh, and i think this one's from harvard where 75 percent of millennials and those in the uh, uh, younger generations generation z yeah, yeah would be prepared to take a pay cut in order to 
yeah. uh, have it's worked for someone that aligns with their purpose. That's been around for, for a few years now, yeah. And Gen Z even more. Yeah. So and so that's very interesting. So the, the whole idea of lead as a healer uh, comes in very, um, it aligns very well. But do we, what comes first? leader as a healer or the shift in the purpose of the business i think they're they're, they're interdependent interdependent yeah because i i think you can't shift well actually i i think it's difficult for a company to shift the purpose the purpose has to be something that is from the core out and then uh, yeah. once you do that people have to uh, well, the people that don't align with it and not re- willing to make the changes within themselves, they will just uh, kind of eject themselves from the business. Correct. Yeah. And go yeah. and work for ExxonMobil. Um, mm. So, are you finding that what stage do you come in and work with the business to help them out to uh, make that shift? Um. I could well that I wouldn't I couldn't give any fixed pattern on that. No. No. And about half my work anyway, because I work at the you know IMD and Said Business School. What's so rich there is that it's usually a group of 40 senior leaders from all around the globe. So I would say half my work is of that nature, and half is within, you know, with organizations. Oh, interesting, interesting. Um, so, and, you know, they're, it's very rich when you have 40 very senior leaders going through a transformational process because you know that each one may go back and really affect a whole big organization. Yeah, no, it's uh, very interesting. And, uh, and I, I suppose because I don't work at that level, I had made some assumptions that that wasn't necessarily where the sea level was interested in going but uh, it's very interesting to hear that your 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 experience is completely different yeah it is and it's reassuring to be honest <laughs> yeah and that said i'm you know i'm not uh i i think we're heading for some kind of civilization collapse to be honest so Good news, though, it is that there is a wake up happening. Um, I don't think it's going to avoid catastrophe. I think it may help us navigate it better. Yeah. Well, that's it. I think you, prepare, in order to navigate and, it, you, you have to have had those, yeah. those aspects within yourself healed. And prepare the ground for new structures, new yeah new yeah new structures basically but i think we're in a disintegration process which yeah no i I agree and i I think already painful and make it uh much more painful unfortunately yeah let's see we have a question here from uh fast again have you ever worked with one-to-one clients instead of business level for example fathers or mothers who can treat beautiful healthy-minded the families and in turn generations um i have but it's not my main focus at the moment but i would say that 
it's very common within the programs I run that people get a whole revelation about their parenting. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so, because then they go back and look at uh, their own childhood, which... Is well, they also are sometimes really shocked to realize, especially when we're talking about transgenerational trauma, how they are passing on to their children what yeah. they've received. And that's really beautiful when I see people really wake up to that. I, I love that. Yeah, it has to, once you make that change, it's not only in one aspect of your life, it transcends all aspects of your, uh, mm. your life, your relationships, your uh, parenting and so forth. Absolutely. Mm. So that's beautiful. And uh, so you want to share with us a little bit about uh, just how the process that you work with uh, clients in terms of th this concept of leader as healer, uh, is there something you want to expand on it uh, that we haven't covered as of yet? Um, well, the book outlines the basic map. And, um, you know, the key levers are deep somatic work mm -hmm. because we're so disembodied as a culture. Yeah. A big, big gateway is always the emotional work because we have so much frozen emotional energy in us. And I work with the principle that most emotions, they don't need fixing, healing, or changing. They just need feeling. Mm. It's a radically simple and challenging proposition. And then we work, of course, with purpose. And then, But all the time, we're also working with the meditative, mindful, um, practice so it's a it's a it's very multi-dimensional is that's that's the most important thing it all interweaves together um, well absolutely i think the if you most of us and especially men tend to be very distant from our emotional bodies if we talk uh, bodies here because we're we're told constantly as children stop crying don't be so sensitive right. uh society tells us that we we need to be strong and powerful and all of that so when we come out in into life there is this disconnect between our own experiences and the emotional body yeah. right yeah and a lot of women are equally taught um don't be angry nice yeah. Nice girls don't shout and scream. So at certain points in the work, that becomes very important. We see, by and large, in men, there's a big journey to open fear and grief. Yeah. And often in women, there's a big journey to open anger and even rage, mm -hmm. which has both a personal and a collective component. So, yeah, those are it's a very important part of the work, actually. And the so when uh, when the clients are connecting with this, what's your perspective on the expression of it? Because I I have this idea that uh, I, I'm not unique in this, but you know we can't control anything outside of ourselves. We can only control our thoughts, our words, uh, and our actions. So if I have anger triggered within me, 
I choose how I express that anger into my fiscal experience. Uh, yeah, but the most important thing in a developmental setting, like one-to-one -one coaching or a group, is first of all to totally feel the anger, yeah. not to not to think about the expression, but actually to let the whole body feel, because then we can choose much more easily where is the appropriate expression if we go straight to the expression we miss the actual center process oh absolutely absolutely need need to feel it in order to express it uh, if if you don't feel it then your your expression is going to be automatic um because yeah. that, then you're then you're stuck in your then you're back up in your head if you're observing it then you're feeling it then you're experiencing it and you can uh, at least in my experience that's when i can go oh interesting i have anger coming up here and i can feel it somatically in my body and then i can say i can think to myself okay i'm going to express that i have this anger because obviously there's something external that triggered it and how am i going to then express that you know this is triggered and uh, you know, if I'm in an interaction with someone, I can then uh, uh, have that uh, interaction in, in more empathetic and more compassionate way. And that's one aspect I think so interesting with this work that you're doing, because now you're allowing these managers that have seen themselves as separate from their uh, or their subordinates, they're now coming into a space where they're feeling connected mm. so yeah. how does that change the dynamic of the teams and the dynamic of the relationship between the managers and the uh, the people that work for them it, it well potentially it changes everything it's wonderful when i do this work with an intact team because their whole relational field changes they meet each other much more authentically which um also you know it's not just about the process because it also gives them much greater access to innovation and new ideas because the energetic field between them has become much more fluid mm -hmm. and open so they find they get much higher access to new ideas to new solutions as well so that goes hand in hand but with an intact team, the work has an enormous impact and, and it's wonderful to see. Well, there's a increased levels of empathy where yeah. empathy is, as, uh, as it's defined, is uh, having an uh, understanding of someone's emotions, but also ideas and concepts. Right. right. So if you're a manager who's shut off, then you, you can't even start to connect with someone else's ideas because your ideas are the ones that matter and you're the manager and therefore it's going to be that way once you have empathy now the manager connects with you empathetically and is open to those ideas very good so they have to but you have to go through that healing process in order to get that uh, be able to reflect on yourself and have that in introspection right right and to clear the resistance within you in order to have that energetic flow 
to open up for what I think you're talking about, intuition and guidance and so forth. Right. So is that something that your clients realize or notices? Definitely. Uh, because that's, now we're starting, now we come very much in uh, to a territory that is more spiritual, right? Yeah. And how are they reacting to that? Because that can be a, quite a surprise, I can imagine. Well, I'm very careful about using the word spiritual. I rarely use that word because mm -hmm. I think it's far too many. It's too loaded. Uh, it's too loaded, yeah. But I, 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 I teach it in a, you know, like there's a very, very lovely um, metaphor in the Jewish mystical tradition where, and I often teach this quite early on, where it's said that if you open the page of a book, you mostly, you just engage with the black letters, but that actually there's a white page. Mm -hmm. And then I explain how important the white page is and how over-fixated we are on the black letters. And that one of the ideas of this work is that we learn to be in both at the same time. So <clears throat> at first, at least people get that intellectually, but then we begin to experience it and it starts to make more sense. I also teaching a lot of practices to people which are very um practical as well so well that what you're mentioning there is very similar to the buddhist uh uh concept of the space in between things in the material world mm -hmm. so yes. when 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 you're meditating and you're expanding or extending your energy and you you feel the the areas around things in the space that you're sitting and you uh yeah that's true and it's also an inner an inner experience of more and more spaciousness more and more silence more and more like timeless dimension as well and i i guide that very deeply and people people have strong experience but i don't use the word spiritual no, I don't I, think you have to, you know, I don't I think you have to label it because about, it's an individual experience. I talk about neuroscience. I talk about brainwave frequency. I talk about how every culture has studied dimensions of consciousness very objectively. Yeah, it needs to so be. You talk about energy, right? Sorry? You talk about energy. Yes, but even using a word like that, at first, that doesn't mean anything to people. Mm. So we have to go delicately. What's lovely, I always find, is that once we start doing deep process work, the whole conversation gets much deeper, of course. Yeah. I'm only doing energy work, but I can't say that at the beginning. No, and I find that that is so interesting because I've that's something I've struggled previously with is how to uh, manage my language or in my material when I approach companies. Mm. Because if you if you started talking about the uh, flow of energy, they might run for the hills. Now I 
built a concept around it and I talk, I, I use it almost like a metaphor. Uh, uh, so I'm allowing the company or the clients to say, yes, a, a metaphor that, you know, the, the idea of the business is the flow of energy towards a purpose. If, uh, and it's the people and stakeholders that are connected with the business. It's how they interact with that energy that is going to determine whether it's a successful business or not. Are they creating resistance or uh, blockages or are they supporting that flow of energy towards the purpose? And it's then businesses go, Oh yeah, no, I get that. <laughs> and then, uh, but you don't need to necessarily talk about that. It's actual energy. It's, it's the uh, metaphor of it, right? I know we're coming up on uh, our hour here now, uh, Nicholas. So uh, I, I want to be uh, conscious of your time. Uh, are there any uh, final words? Obviously, I will put uh, the link to your webpage and your book in the uh, episode description. Um, so is, is there anything is that, that you can share gonna... in terms of... So I'm, just, I'm going to write the um in the chat the new platform that is just launched great i will put that in mm. the uh in the because actually people can also book sessions direct from the website if they wish. right so matrixcoaching.net yeah Fantastic. Yeah, no, I will uh, put that in the uh, episode description as well. Thank you, Thank you Christopher. Uh, I've, we could go on for, well, I could anyway, go on for a long time. <laughs> and I would like to, uh, at some point, uh, uh, have that discussion of uh, the where, how we're dismantling society and how it's going to be rebuilt. Uh, that'd be an interesting conversation. Uh, <laughs> But uh, so I wanted to, uh, if we have four minutes to go here, so I wanted to open up if uh, anybody has any quick questions for uh, Nicholas that you wanted to bring up or any uh, comments. Mm. I know Faz has been good about... Uh, yes, Faz has been writing really good. Yeah. So we're starting Anna. with Faz and then we go to Anna. No, Anna wants to speak, I think, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know. Do you hear me? Do you hear yes. me? Yes. 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 Hi. I'm talking to you from Egypt. Hi. Um, it's very interesting to hear it, but I missed um, the most important moment, I guess. Probably it was at the beginning. Just in two words, uh, how would you describe, I mean, how would you see the leader as a healer, you know, this main topic, which I agree with very much, just to listen to your perspective, if it can be said in one sentence or two sentences, please. Leader as healer is, is the leader who has rejected the normalized version of reality, which is dominated by linear thinking and understands that we need to bring a unification of embodied experience emotional connection, intuitive opening, and the deeper meditative practice in which thinking becomes our servant, not our master, which is right. something Einstein actually asked, is your, is your mind your 
servant or your master. And the whole problem with most people is the mind is the master. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Are, you yeah. are you the thinker or are you your thought? Are you your thoughts? Are you your thoughts or are you? If you if you listen afterwards, Anna, you you your question will be answered. Much All right, I will. I will. Yeah, there will be. A, usually there are replays, huh? Because this yeah. is the first time I'm trying. Yeah. Uh, Mind the Valley. Yeah. All right. Great. Anyway, I I already got your deep uh, thinking uh, on <laughs> the subject, which Thank is a, a totally innovative approach uh, right. compared to general business um, yes. approaches, of course. And. and by the way, the, the rights to my book have been bought by a big Arab publisher, so it should be published in Arabic before too. Well, <laughs> I'm not very much of Arab myself. I'm Armenian, oh. actually. Oh, okay. okay <laughs> but anyway, English is fine with me. I have no English too, so. <laughs> okay, great, great, great. Okay. I, 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 loved, I loved the title, and this Thanks. is what attracted me. I know in life coaching, we always um, avoid labeling. But it is titling as well in yeah. this case. And, and it is so important, you know, the, the right titling of, of the subject. So right. anyway, it's nice. Thank you very much. Thank I'll be in touch. I'll continue okay. watching. Thank you, Anna. All right, yeah. Fas, go ahead. Hi. Absolutely brilliant session. Absolutely love, love, love the topic. It's so insightful. And on a business level, obviously, you know, it's it's going to be massive transformations on a on a big big level and it's absolutely brilliant what you're doing Nicholas I just wanted to ask a question for me personally on a on a personal level on in terms of managing emotions right so I am when it comes to MBTI types I don't know um um I don't, terms, I don't relate to that don't, yeah, no, that's fine. Um, I'm I'm more of a feeler in terms of like I I have a lot of feelings and um I am logical at times as well, but um I don't know sometimes if I go with my heart rather than my head. What tip could you give me to survive in this world <laughs> and not take things so uh personally or so emotionally all the time? Well, that's a big question. I would say two things. First, get more and more grounded in your body mm -hmm. and find the person or persons with whom you can look deeper into your emotional body and find out what emotions might be at the core that are not yet being touched, which is why they come up again and again. So a combination of those two, I would say okay brilliant so work with with a therapist a Is good therapist yeah or a good coach who knows how to really go deep into your emotional body and do a lot of body work get get more and more grounded physically grounded mm -hmm. definitely i mean i try and walk on grass and sand and you know things like that in terms of grounding and I do a lot of meditation. I think sometimes it just lack uh, concentration and focus as well. I think mm -hmm. that's another one that I, I need to work on as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think also a lot of times first, it's we we ha don't have that relationship with our emotions. We, we yeah. try to see them as our enemies and we resist them. 
So mm -hmm. if you can allow yourself to experience your emotions and to build that relationship with them, to see them as your allies and uh, they're there to support you to in your journey, uh, then they won't be, you won't have the suffering aspect of you. They'll still be painful because they will still be there to, they are feeling, uh, but you won't have that suffering because now you're building up a different perspective on it. Mm, yeah, Yeah, thank you so much for your yeah, time and I yeah. really appreciate your feedback. Thank you, Faz, for all you wrote as well. Thank you. <laughs> I all just right, Nicholas, I've... Uh... In the moment. So yeah, <laughs> I thought it might trigger different, different points, but yeah, thank you so much. Beautiful. Well, I've taken an additional two minutes of your time here, so uh, I appreciate that, Nicholas. So, uh, thank you very much, Christopher, and everyone who listens now or to the recording. Thank you. Yeah, no, and it's uh, been absolutely beautiful to be in your presence. Your, uh, uh, if I may, come from a more esoteric point of view. Your energy is uh, fabulous to just uh, sit and enjoy and uh, to be around and. Uh, Having you share your wisdom with us uh, has been uh, truly a, a privilege. So thank we appreciate you. that. And thank you for all the work you do as well. Well, thank you. All right. Well, uh, thank you everybody for showing up. Thank you, Nicholas, for sharing your wisdom with us. And uh, I wish everybody a wonderful day. Okay. So now if you are a leader or you aspire to become one, you need know what you need to do. Also, it is a good good idea to uh, start healing yourself because simply by being present and being ourselves we are taking up that leadership role in one way or another uh, at any time during our lives as you may suspect i find the definition of leadership to be uh, far too narrow and uh, if you're a parent you're uh, you have a family or you have parents or you have siblings whatever it may be you can show up being the role model and being that shining light for others to aspire to become or to heal themselves as well. So if you want support and guidance in this process, you can contact uh, Nicholas at nicholasjani.com or with myself at thealchemyexperience.co.uk. If you'd like to work one-on-one uh, -on -one with the concept of leader as healer, uh, Nicholas has created a program called the coachingmatrix.net where you can go and book individual sessions with coaches that work with Nicholas on this concept. Well, this is it for now. I hope you have enjoyed this session and we'll tune in for the next session that we will have in two weeks or publish in two weeks and we will be talking about integrity. In the meantime, Shine your light and enjoy your growth. Take care now. Bye.